Welcome back to Being Eve. I'm your host, Casey Alexis, and today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Tina Chambers-Smith. She is a writer, author, teacher, and founder of Raising Kids on Your Knees, a ministry focused on equipping moms and dads to pray and parent life into the lives of their children. She has seen the power of prayer in her own children's lives and believe there is no better way for us as parents and guardians to raise our children than on our knees in daily prayer for them. Tina resides with her husband Rod in North Carolina. Together they have four children and three grandchildren. So she knows what she's talking about, ladies. So help me welcome Tina as we discuss breaking the patterns of a double life. Hi, Tina. Welcome to Being Eve. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Me too. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And I've already done your formal introduction to the audience. But at this moment, I would like you to share a synopsis of your story with the ladies that are tuned in. I am actually the oldest of four. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up, um, my dad was self-employed and back in the seventies, he was probably making six figures at that point, which back in the seventies was quite a bit. That was, wow. Yeah. So he was self-employed. He was a school photographer and, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania and we obviously things, you know, financially were always well for us. We, you know, had everything we needed, but also pretty much anything we wanted. So Um, when I turned probably 17, 16 or 17, things really started to turn to turmoil in my family. Mm -hmm. My parents decided to separate. Um, we moved from, let's see, I went to three different high schools in three different states, my sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school. So that was, that was a lot. Um, we ended up in upstate New York and, Uh, My parents ended up separating and divorcing my senior year of high school. And so um, I found myself actually living on my own at 18 before I graduated from high school. I was co-oping with a big company there in that area and kind of, you know, putting food on my table and roof over my head. Um, It was then I started going to a church there, a non-denominational church, and they would do these like coffee houses Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at that coffee house I um they had an invitation to receive Christ and I did um I had been going the reason I had been going to that church is because I had met a guy and he started taking me to church and that's when I received Christ as my savior I'd love to say that uh from that moment on my life was all um, cupcakes and balloons, but it wasn't. I right. had no idea what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I just knew that I had received him as my savior. And I I would say, I know personally something happened to me. There was life. I did, you know, become spiritually alive. I did know that. Right. But I didn't know what it meant follow Jesus. And so I continued to walk in my flesh and the patterns of my flesh. I had learned Um, my boyfriend and I were having sex. We were going to church and having sex and, you know, and really I knew it was wrong, but I really didn't know how to break out of that, I guess is what Mm. I would say. All right. So I'm going to stop you right there because I want to capture some moments in your story that I think um, a lot of us can probably relate to um, with your parents' divorce, right? As yes. as a child in that particular moment in your life, how did that impact you? Because sometimes we, we hear how it impacts the parents. We see the breakdown happen in the adults. But what did you experience in that moment? Personally, I mean, I was 18 when that happened. So I was at a very critical point in my own personal life where... Mm. For me personally, it arrested anything that I wanted to do as far as college, um, you know, pursuing any kind of a career that I thought I wanted or anything. Right. At that point, I was now having to provide for myself. 
and try to figure that out on the fly, I guess is what I'm saying. So I never really had that opportunity. It also took away from me that um, sense of home. There was really Mm -hmm. no home because it had been, you know, my dad went his direction and my mom went her direction. So there was really no home to go home to. Right. So there was a lot of loneliness in that. Um, It's, it's hard. I think, you know, as I'll I'll share later on in, in part of my story is divorce, parents get to go on with their lives, but the children are the ones who walk it out for the rest of their lives. So you were the oldest of four. I was. So when they divorced, you didn't you didn't go with anyone. Did any of your other siblings go live with either your mom or your dad or you? What did It was interesting. It's kind of a sad story. My mom left to go back down south where she was from and she mm-hmm. took my youngest sibling, which was a brother. She took him with her and she left me and my two sisters who are 16 months younger than me. Um, in the apartment that we were living in. My dad eventually moved out. I remember my mom coming back. And at this point, I had already found my own apartment. But my sisters were living by themselves. Actually, no furniture. I think it was pretty sad. They were sleeping on the floor. So my mom came back and got them and took them back south. So I I ended up 12 hours away from everybody. And was really, it really was, you know, So that's kind of how that happened. My other three siblings ended up with my mom and I ended up 12 hours away from them in the North, in the Northeast. It sounds traumatic to be honest with you, because it went, it went from everyone being together, being in a home. to now everyone kind of like being on different parts of the the world a little bit and, you know, separated. Wow. 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 Yeah. It was pretty traumatic. Yeah. There were a lot of issues of abandonment that I had because of that. I can, yeah, I can definitely understand that. And so when it came to now you meeting this young man, um, do you think he just filled a void that you had at that time, feeling abandoned? And now you have this boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I met him probably, let me think, about three months prior to all of that happening. So he was a part of my life. His family became a big part of my life. Um, They kind of filled in the gap. Um, where my parents walked out, you know, mm-hmm. and so I was fortunate to have that and they all went to that church. So, gotcha. you know, I was fortunate God provided, right. although, you know, in retrospect, I see that now I didn't necessarily see, see it. it then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you guys met, um, you're dating, mm-hmm. you got, mm-hmm. you, you got saved, right. Um, and, you're kind of living a double life, right? You guys are going to church, but yet you're being sexually active. What did that feel like? Because I know for me personally, I can attest to that living a double life feeling a little bit. Like you, you know, the Lord, but at the same time, you giving into your, your humanity, you're giving into your flesh, you're, you're participating in things that you already know is not the best things that God wants for you. We know That's that right. It's, it's classified as sin. And so did you right. feel convicted in that moment? Or did you feel like, you know what? It's, it's, I'm just, I love him. You know, you know, we can tell ourselves, oh, I love him, but I love him. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, what you do is, is, yeah, absolutely. Was I convicted? Yes. Mm. Every single time. I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be doing it. Yet you do tell yourself, well, we're going to get married or yes, I love him. And yes, it's okay. There, there's so many mental gymnastics that you do when you want to continue walking in sin and you try to convince yourself, which are really the lies of the enemy. And I did, I just continually tried to convince myself that this is okay. Nobody really knows. We'll just, this is, you know, you just shove it under the carpet and you continue to walk in, in, the desires of your flesh. And that's really what it was. You know, we started now, having sex before I became a believer. So we just kind of carried that baggage right into, I did into my Christian walk. Right. Now, what does that conviction feel like? Because we do have a variety of different listeners and they may be early in their walk, right? What does that mm-hmm. conviction feel like inside? Like, you know, that is God talking to you, telling you, listen, that is not the right thing to do. What is that? What did that feel like for you? 
I think it's it's um I think we need to remember that conviction of the Holy Spirit is not it's not like a hammer down. Mm-hmm. It's a really it's a check in your spirit is how I kind of describe it. It's that mm, every time you engage in that, there's this check in your spirit. There's this thing inside of you that goes, mm, that mm-hmm. just just is not right. It doesn't feel right. Something's out of sync. I don't know if that helps as a description of that's the only way I can think to describe that personally inside me. You just know, you, you just know that's you walk away from what you just did and you go and you feel dirty right? and you just feel like that did not feed my soul. That did not, you know, make me feel like a better person when I walked away from doing that. Right. It's almost like you, you lost something in that moment. Like, Oh man, I just, it feels like a, you know how when you lose something, like you lose a game or I'm yeah, trying to describe yeah. it a little bit. Like for me, it feels like mm-hmm. when, you, when you're playing a game and you just lost and you know, uh-huh. and it's like, ah, oh, you know, dang, I lost it. Yeah. Like, it's like that. It's like that for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me as well. You walk away from that. Exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, like it right. felt good in the moment. And then you walk away and you go, oh, why did I do that? Right. Like, you know, I know that's not right, but why you're almost, and in my case, it's like I get in that moment, I had no control and it happened. And then you walk away and you go, like, why did I do that? It's just not a good feeling when you walk away from it. I totally get it. I totally get it. I know some ladies in the audience will be able to relate to that too. So thank you for sharing that. My -hmm. next question for you is you guys eventually get deeper and deeper in your relationship. You're living this mm-hmm. double life, right? You're going to church, mm-hmm. but yet at yep. the same time, yep. you're doing your own thing. And then it leads yep. to something. It leads yes. to a pregnancy, right? How do you Correct. handle that when you first saw that double line on the stick? I mean, and, and you talk about leading this double life. I mean, we were deep into this double life. We were a leader in leadership. We were in mm. leadership. And, and so this wasn't just, you know, any double life. This was really you know, we ended up getting married and well, no, let me back up. Yes. I did get pregnant. And, um, the day you miss your period and you're like sitting there going, uh, and you're kind of waiting a few days out and you're going, well, you know, maybe I'm just late. And then all of a sudden, like the realization of what has happened starts flooding your mind. You go get the pregnancy test. You take the pregnancy test. And back in those days, you had to take it in the morning and, you know, you do the pregnancy tests and you had to wait for the results and the result was positive and you're, you're just, you're scared to death. Right. Gosh, you know? And so I remember calling him that, that morning and saying, listen, I'm pregnant, you know, and his first thing was, well, I know what, I know where to take you and I know what to do. We're going to take care of this. And he's like, okay you know and so that here you are you know and and you're in this and you make that choice I remember I was working full-time at the time obviously so putting a roof over my head and right going into work and you're like oh my gosh like I mean now you're leading a really deep double life right because nobody knew what was going on and I remember making an appointment and going to um I went to Planned Parenthood and to have everything confirmed and they were, you know, kind of, they gave me information on what I could do if I don't want to keep the baby and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just remember it was feeling like in those moments of those weeks, you know, like there was probably a week or so from the time I found out to the time it was over that I it's just like, you almost feel like you're in the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. Like did that, like what, there's so much going on in your mind. And, and I think at that point, you know, when you're so deeply ensconced in this deceptive life where you're, you know, you're in church and you're, you're trying to walk this out in front of other people that, you know, your mindset is, is let's just 
get over this. Let's get rid of this so that we can continue to move on. There's so much pride in that. Right. You know, I don't want anybody to know because, oh my goodness, what are they going to think of me? And, you know, all of those things played into that decision to have an abortion and, you know, that the fear and then having, you know, somebody who was willing to walk through that not wanting to lose that person because it, if you think back you know what I'm going through in my life I'm by myself 12 hours away from my family the last thing I want to do is lose the only person I have left in my life so that right. fear of being abandoned by this person now see how that plays out right you know, so you're going to do whatever you're going to cower to whatever those idols are in your life and those were my idols and mm. you know you make the appointment you get the cash because you're not going to leave a paper trail right and you go out of town, you know, you go and have this procedure and you, you walk in the office, you hand them the envelope of cash, you go meet with a doctor, the doctor brings out the gestational wheel and tells you how far along you're in your pregnancy. And the doctor actually looked at me at that point and said, do you want to go through with this? And if I had, if I could ever take back time, that would mm. be where I would go back and say, I'm walking out, I'm going to keep the baby. And, but I said, no, you know, like I, yes, I want to go through with this. And I remember walking down that, you know, corridor, just like any other OBGYN office right. and going in that room. And just like any other OBGYN office, you put the gown on, you get on the table. And I remember the sound of the machine. I remember looking at everything that had just been literally sucked out of me and getting off that table and getting dressed and walking out. So you were like, away. You were awake for the Oh, absolutely. Whole it was basically a vacuum cleaner. Is what it was. was the sound. I want to highlight this moment because I don't believe, or I could just be me, I don't believe this conversation happens enough. No, um, I don't. Okay. Because I, I, I really want to hone in on this because I too have gone down the same path where I made a decision mm -hmm. to have an abortion as well. And mm -hmm. I want to take this moment to kind of talk about what goes through um, the mind of a woman who decides to do this, because a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're pro-choice, pro-life, I want to highlight this moment because a lot of people have opinions of what, right. okay, pro-life, pro-choice, but do you know what happens inside of a woman when she's making this decision? Um, because right. it's, it's totally out of a character of a woman to do this. I want to highlight Absolutely. it's not innate in us to say, this is what I want to do. If it is innate, it's because something happened in that woman's story for her to say, you know what, this is what I want to do. And she won't even think about it. Right. But it's outside of our nature because we're caretakers by nature. So That's right. what was going through your mind? Because I know for me, when I finally made that decision, it was okay, out of fear, right? I didn't yes. want anyone yep. to know church at the time when I made that wasn't saved or anything. I was just in the world, but I did it because of what I thought everybody else was going to think, right? I was afraid. I didn't want yeah. to be ashamed of the things that I was doing because I too was living a double life. Nobody knew I was having sex, you know, none of that. Right. And right. so when you come to face to face with your realization of what you were actually doing, when you see the two mm -hmm. lines, it's like the first thing you're like, oh my God, how, how what am I going to do? Um, and right. then you don't have support, right? At that time, right. you're thinking right. nobody's going to support you. Mm -hmm. When you get to the clinic, you're sitting down with someone at Planned Parenthood. I did the same thing. And I mm -hmm. remember the lady talking to me and all she kept talking to me about is you're young. You're young. You don't, right. you don't have to do, deal with this right now. You could go back to school. You could finish your degree. Right. It was all of these things that she was pouring into me. You're young, you're young and young. So when I finally decided to go through with it, and mm -hmm. of course, they they pulled out the the sonogram machine at the time, and they were going through with it. Um, the lady was like, "You know, this is where you are right now." She was so she was trying to make me look at the 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 screen, the picture, the, mm -hmm. right? She wanted me to look at it, and I truly believe that was that moment that God was trying to get me to look at it. Because if at least if I looked at it, and to this day, I wish I did, because I know if I did, I wouldn't have gone through with it. Just like your moment when the doctor yes. asked you. Yes. Are you sure? It was that in that moment. I wish I could go back and say, "I look at it, Casey. Look at it." But I didn't, and I, yeah, I didn't yeah. for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. And so, same thing. But I was sedated. Um, they put me out, so I didn't get to hear what you heard. 
But in the mm-hmm. moment in my mind, the whole time I knew, Casey, what are you doing? Like in my head, I yeah. knew something wasn't, and in my heart, something wasn't right. I knew what I was doing wasn't right. Share a little mm-hmm. bit about what you were thinking even before you got to the back. What was your mind thinking? Was it just blank? What were you thinking in that moment? I think, you know, once the only support that I did, ha- you know, you talk about having support. The only support that I did, did have was pointing me toward abortion. Right. So, you know, you're not going to lose that support. Right. And I think at that point, you know, it, mentally as a woman, because what you said is so true, this is so against our nature as a woman to um, take life. Right. We're, we are life givers. Uh, you have to completely disconnect yourself from yes. what's going on. And you have to completely ignore the fact that there is life living inside of you. So for you, it was, I'm not going to look at that sonogram because that confirms what's going on and for me you know I was I was older or I'm older than you are so back in the day they didn't do that kind of stuff it was just you know talking you know to the doctor and stuff like that so even back then I think you know we didn't have the those options of seeing what was going on inside of us but it doesn't matter I knew my body was screaming, there is life inside of here. Because you know, you know, I've had four kids since then. You know what's going on with your body when you're pregnant. It's so true. You know there's life inside of you. So you, in order to walk through this, you have to disconnect yourself. Completely, yes, so true. Completely from that child that's inside of you. It's, it's so as true. if that child doesn't exist. You you believe the lies. It's just a bunch of cells. It's, so it's not going to matter. It's blah, 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 blah. You know, you you take all those lies that society dictates to you on a, on an almost daily basis that, and it's your body. You get to do it. You know, that's the new thing these days. It's your body. You right. get to do whatever you want to do with it. Those are all the lies you have to, you have to buy those lies, hook, line, and sinker. In order to walk down that corridor, get on that table, and have everything happen to you that happened to you. It is so true. And I forgot to add um, one particular part for me is that once you sign up to do to do it, I remember specifically when I signed up to do the to do the abortion, the lady told me if you don't show up, they're going to mm-hmm. send police to your house that day. So what? I totally forgot that. Can you imagine wow, now the police coming to your house? This was in New York at the time. I was living in New York City. Can you imagine the police coming to your house and saying, mm. you were supposed to show up for your abortion today. What happened? Why didn't you show up? And you hadn't That's told your crazy. mom. You hadn't told a dad. So it was almost like you <laughs> My had to show up. You had to be yeah. there. There wasn't tur- wow. any turning back to you at that moment. And wow. um, I wanted to take the time out to share that, you know, ladies, for you that are listening, listening to two women who have experienced this and sharing our story so openly, because I do mm-hmm. believe there is a shame associated mm-hmm. with it, right? Oh, After you absolutely. do it, you are ashamed yeah. of yourself, like mm-hmm. literally because you're oh, going yeah. against everything that you know you were created to do. So there's a shame mm-hmm. that you carry. And I wanted to talk about this so openly because I do mm-hmm. believe that by us sharing our story, other women out there can relate and possibly heal. Because some of mm-hmm. us have still not healed from the decision that we made on that day. That's right. Um, some That's of us right. still carry it with us. Um, I'm getting mm-hmm. emotional even talking about it because I know how that mm-hmm. felt because I once was there where that shame was so heavy. You're constantly thinking about that day that you could have made a different decision. Mm-hmm. And, I, right. and I also wanted to share it openly so that people who are pro-choice or pro-life who've never walked down this path before could understand what it is to walk in that moment and see it for yourself. It is not an easy decision wherever you stand on that aisle. It's not easy and it shouldn't be looked at such. It shouldn't be looked and, at. And I agree. Decision. Yes, I agree with you 100%. I, you know, you, you see all these people marching for the right to life, but most of these people have never walked in our shoes. And, you know, in, unless you walk in these shoes, you don't understand you don't. the the path of destruction that it that it, you know, paves in a person's life when you make that choice. So I did, I ended up writing a book about that, Mm. that delineated my story from beginning to end. And I went into very raw details, like we are here of what that 
whole thing was like so that, you know, if you're going to make that choice to march for the right to life or not to march for the right type, but to march for women's rights and you're going to, you know, go ahead and stand on that side, you need to understand what that choice is. Yes. When you're when you're giving that woman that choice to have an abortion, you are also sentencing her to a life beyond that of regret and that will shame. never be able and shame. Now, can Jesus Christ come and heal yes. you all of all of that? Absolutely. Or you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking exactly. about it. So, but if you're going to march for women's rights, people need to understand what that right is. Yes, you're giving them the right to do whatever they want to with their body, but you're also, you don't understand what the, the destruction that's going to happen in their life because they made that choice. Absolutely. And I say this often too. I said, you know what? It's not real choice if the person doesn't know what they're getting into completely. I agree. Right? I agree. I have, if, you're yep. gonna, if I'm going to have the right to choose, let them know exactly what they're going to be going through mentally, physically, right. and what the process is truly like. Because a lot of, yes. they hide the entire process, ladies. You don't know. For you, um, Tina, I know you heard the vacuum and everything, but for me, oh, um, yeah. because I'm much younger, I didn't know anything. I was sedated. I went to sleep and I woke up. I wasn't pregnant anymore. So there was a whole mm -hmm. process that I wasn't aware of. But mm -hmm. they don't tell you exactly what happens. They don't tell you that the baby can feel it. They don't tell you anything. Right. They keep you right. in the com in complete dark. So is it really a choice when you don't know what you're choosing? You know, is it really it a isn't. choice? And so I want to highlight that also so that ladies can know whatever side mm -hmm. of the aisle you're standing on, please know there's mm -hmm. a story. There's a story that that woman's going to be dealing with afterwards, mm -hmm. whatever side of the aisle you're standing on. So thank you. That's right. Thank you so much, Tina, for being courageous enough and open enough to share your story on that. So eventually you <laughs> all got married, right? You married the man that you... Yeah, I, I had the abortion. I got in the car, headed back home. And I was in New York State too. So, um, you know, I, I just, I really remember, I remember sitting in the car and I remember looking out the window on the passenger side and I, and I said out loud, I do not know how God can forgive this kind of thing. Mm. I knew, I knew it was wrong yet. I went through with it. And so it got swept right under the carpet, uh, never to be talked about or thought about again. Mm. You know, it just kind of, you, you have to, there are so much mental gymnastics you go through to so stuff true. that. So true. Stuff it. You stuff it, you stuff it, you stuff it. So we did. We got married, I want to say a couple years after that happened. We got married. We, it was three years after we got married, I got pregnant for our first, well, actually our second. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we did, it was a normal pregnancy. Delivery was a little eventful, but, you know, you have your, you have your child. <clears throat> and then 12 months, when he was 12 months old, I got pregnant for our second one. And I remember him not being happy at all. Yeah, right. Not at all. So let me pause right. you for one second there. So you guys never, after the abortion, you guys got married. No one ever knew about the abortion at all. No. And you guys didn't talk about it afterwards either. No, we never talked right. about it. It was a weird thing. Yeah. So, because I wanted to highlight something that you said um, when you shared your story with me, is that the relationship began in deceit and it was about to end in deceit as well. Yep. Relationships that begin in deceit will end in deceit. Explain, explain that for the audience. Yeah. So what happened was I got pregnant for my second child and he was not happy about that. I, it was a very odd situation mm -hmm. and I, you know, got, had my second child. And then I think it was two years after she was born, I found out that he had other girlfriends mm -hmm. and, um, I remember having to come, I confronted that I caught, I, I caught him with somebody and, um, confronting that situation. So, you know, here we are back in deceit again. So that's what I mean by right. a relationship that will begin, that begins in deceit will end in deceit mm -hmm. outside of God's intervention mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I went through this whole, you know, here I am with a newborn, well, no, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I am um, dealing with this situation with my, my husband 
and it was, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, it was just, it was a really, really rough time. Um, I caught him several times, I think. And eventually, you know, having to take a stand in that, of, you know, here I was, this person was my idol. Mm. My life was my idol. And having to, you know, face with that crisis of now, what am I going to do? And I remember that's when God really began working in my life. That's when he, you know, you're, you're, you're at a crisis now you've hit a wall doing 500 miles an hour and what looked like the perfect life. And when I say looked like Mm -hmm. the perfect, that's what I mean. It only looked like that from the outside. Um, you're, you're now, here with your life down around your ankles. And I remember at that time, one of the women at our church, she approached me. Um, I guess word had gotten back to my pastor that my husband was seen or was caught with something else or whatever. And so she, um, he had approached her and said, listen, can you kind of come alongside Tina in this situation? And so she, I remember seeing her at a Bible study one day and (laughs) she came to me and She's like, so how are you doing? And you know, and you know how we all are. And oh, I'm doing great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she looked at me with all seriousness in her face, and she said, "Are you really?" And with those words, I was, I crumbled. And here I am standing with one kid on my hip and one in my hand. And she's like, "Come to my office and let's talk." Mm. And so I went in and just, you know, really shared with her what was going on. And from that moment on, she began walking alongside of me and is still to this day my mentor. Wow. Um, she helped me walk through. It became a crisis of faith. It's like, okay, who's on the throne of your life? Are, are you? Are you going to continue to walk on the throne of your life? Because this is where it ends up. Or are you ready to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and put the stake in the ground that he is Lord of your life, that you're going to follow him no matter what. And though he slay you, yet will you trust him? And it was at that moment, I remember on the phone with her, I had been driving around most of the day looking for my husband because he was missing and we were, he was self-employed. So it was easy for him to kind of do whatever he wanted to throughout the day. And I was out looking for him and wondering where he was. And I remember calling my friend and I said, you know, I just, I've been out all day. I can't find him. And she said, you know what? You're going to have to deal with this control and your fear and your unbelief. And with those three words, I was, it was, I was slain. That was conviction in my heart. I needed to deal with the control the fear and the unbelief because the unbelief was driving my fear. I didn't believe Jesus Christ was who he said he was mm. and he was going to do what he said he could do. That created the fear and the fear drives control. Mm. And That's I so remember true. at that moment being in a heap on the floor of my kitchen, literally sobbing, ugly, ugly crying, tears and snot and praying with her over the phone and choosing in that moment to put a stake in the ground that no matter what happened from this moment on, I am following Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk in obedience to him and I'm going to do what he asked me to do. And that's what I did. And I would love to say, (laughs) okay, here we go. It's, you know, happily ever after and everything worked out, but it, it didn't, not in that, not in that marriage. And uh, I think for about a year and a half, I pursued reconciliation, but yet holding those firm boundaries right. of, you know, we are married, we need to walk married and in and all of that stuff. And then about a year and a half in, I said, Lord Jesus, if this marriage cannot be healed, please release me. Mm-hmm. And when I got to that point, I would say within three weeks, God had made it crystal clear to me that he was releasing me from that marriage and, you know, ended up walking through divorce. And here I am with, you know, young children, preschoolers as a single mom, 12 hours away from anybody in my family. And the one person that was my idol, God had torn it down and brought me to the place where Jesus Christ was living my life. Wow. I want to stop right there, Tina, because 
I can only imagine how difficult that was as I listened to you express the story. Because sometimes when we listen to people's story, it sounds easy, right? <laughs> it's like, no, okay, it was it, anything, but anything but easy. And the interesting part is, I know in your mind at that moment, I'm just ask, I'm asking at this point, did you mm-hmm. hold on to it so tightly, the marriage, because of what you went, you saw your parents go through and what you went through because of their divorce and not wanting your children go through any of that and the abandonment issues and all the stuff that you were trying to prevent in your own self from having that control? Did you hold on to it because of that, do you think? I I may have subconsciously, mm. but I, you know, at that point, I had not even dealt with right that baggage. Mm. <laughs> right? That baggage yes. was so far in the rearview mirror. I had not even dealt with that baggage yet. So what's happening is is with each crisis in my life, that kind of stuff is being compounded. Mm. It's just, and you don't even realize how it's, you know, it's growing in your life and how the enemy is literally gaining ground in your life in those areas. So, you know, when you're in those crises like that, subconsciously, you may be thinking that, but on the surface, it's not even a, it's not even a blip on the radar. It's not even a blip. You know, I think at that moment, I'm just trying to hold on. It's like the abortion. Well, my marriage can't fall apart now. We're, you know, we're part of the leadership of the church. What in the world's going to, what's this going to look like? Just when it started getting good, here we are with the break. Ladies, we'll be right back after this quick message. Because you're part of leadership, you're living now in a fishbowl. Right. And that fishbowl is getting ready to crack wide open and so, so everybody was watching what was going on so you guys were in leadership at that moment as well we had been in leadership the whole entire time the whole yeah. entire time either and maybe you know we were in leadership in you know like youth activities and then it moved into you know more of um, the board on the church and stuff like that and his family was you know big uh, big people in the church as far as leadership right. too so you know you're here you are in a fishbowl. So I want to, and ask everybody's you, watching. I want to ask you this because I don't think that conversation happens enough. Too, um, when it comes to leadership in the church, in regards to them being actual, being actually human beings too, right? Mm-hmm. Going through mm-hmm. their own right. set of problems, having That's their right. own set of issues, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes for those of us who attend church we place leadership on a platform as if they can do no wrong and because Mm -hmm. of that we I don't know if if it's we're doing it or if it's just the way the church has been to look like or appear to be where we're not allowing people the space and the room to walk their salvation out with fear and trembling right like we're all Mm -hmm. right we're in the body of Christ we all have these issues and we're we're not transparent enough um, in regards right. to some of the struggles that we have. And because we're not transparent mm-hmm. enough, we're not helping each other the way that we need to be helping each other um, and supporting one another walk this thing out the way that we need to. Because if you're if you're thinking I'm in leadership, I'm in this fishbowl, if I'm going through this, people are going to talk, you're not gonna reach out to anybody. You know <laughs> because no. you have this right. Right. You got to live out. So explain that a little bit. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to our own pride. And if you withhold transparency, you know, from even, I mean, it doesn't even matter whether you're leadership or, or whatever. If you're not transparent, if you don't have those people around you that you can be 100 100% transparent with you remove yourself from any accountability Mm. and accountability is critical for all of us yes we need to hold one another accountable for what's going on in our personal lives you know after you know my mentor came into my life she had complete um, permission for me to ask the hard questions right you know how's your thought life? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your relationship with other people, you know, and, and just holding me accountable for those things. And we don't do that enough in the body of Christ. 
we, you know, it's like, we, well, it's none of your business. Yeah, it is because you're part of the body of Christ and we're all part of the body of Christ. So yes, it is my business. Absolutely. If you're not walking it out, you know. Absolutely. And my heart hurts for that because, and I can't, I'm, it's my prayer that we get better with that because like your story, mm-hmm. you had, you know, abortion happens, um, divorce mm-hmm. happens, um, mm-hmm. extramarital affair happens. And, you know, we know mm-hmm. that the body of Christ experiences these issues on an everyday basis. There's Absolutely. domestic violence happening in the body of Christ. People right. are coming to church, sitting in the church, in the pew, dealing with mm-hmm. all that heaviness. And they can't let mm-hmm. it out. They can't. They feel right. like they have to put on the show, and um, right. we shouldn't be hurting like that. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be hurting like that alone. No. We really shouldn't. We no. Really shouldn't. No, especially as the body of Christ. Right. Right. We should be able to walk alongside one of no- one another in those things. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that people aren't healed. Right. So they don't even Ooh. know how to approach that. You know, it's oh like, my goodness. People, yes, you know, pe- people aren't, aren't, they, they themselves aren't healed. So, you know, you can only impart to people what you possess. So if you're not healed, you're not going to be able to help other people so true. be healed, you know, and we just, we close ourselves off. We, we become our own little islands and we do ourselves such a big disservice by doing that. We need each other. We need one another. We do. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that because that segues into my next question. Life, okay. after di- life after divorce, how did you heal from the past? So I, you know, that all, all happened. God began working in my heart and I, I began working through some really, you know, as God laid them on my plate, it was like, you know, my, my mentor always said, her name was Patty. She always said, listen, you you have to deal with whatever God puts you on your plate at a time. So it wasn't like this um, prescribed, you know, it wasn't like a book. It wasn't like these little things, the hoops I jumped through. It was walking with, it was walking with God and walking with the Holy spirit. And I, I think, you know, you begin walking with God and you're walking with the Holy spirit and you begin dealing with those things as they come up. So I remember talking you know, and this is, you know, we were talking about accountability. So I'm talking to Patty one night and I, this, we're probably six months into separation. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying to me, you're going to have to choose to forgive him for this. And I'm like, you're nuts. I mean, that's craziness because, right. you know, here my life is down around my ankles and it's because of choices that he made that were here. And that, by the way, I'll go back to that because that's not absolutely the truth. But, you know, she's saying you're going to have to forgive him. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't feel like doing that right now. And she she coached me and she said, okay, you're never going to feel like forgiving because it's not a feeling. And Mm. it's a choice. It's a choice of obedience to Jesus Christ because he commands us in his word to forgive as we've been forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, you know me, I'm like, I'm a strong-willed woman. I'm like, okay, fine. You know? right. <laughs> and we got off that conversation and she coached me through what forgiveness really looked like. And I remember going to my bed that day, like just getting on my knees beside my bed where most of us go. Right. And I remember like bowing my head and I just lost it. I, I remember just pouring out to God in tears the pain that I was feeling from the betrayal Mm. and the abandonment. And I just lost it. And I went to open my mouth to say, I choose, I, you know, and I, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth and I choked them out. And I said, Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive him for, and I laid it all out. I release him to you. Mm. He, he owes me nothing. He owes me nothing because Jesus Christ already paid for it on the cross. And I have no right. I have no right to demand more than what Jesus already paid. And I laid it. I got done. I said that I stood up and I went, okay, there, that's done. I didn't feel any different. I didn't feel about three days after I made that choice. God began to flood over me the feelings of forgiveness and releasing him 
he owed me nothing. And I cannot even explain in words what that felt like. It's like trying to explain what giving birth feels like to somebody who's never right. given birth before. But when you choose to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, he is responsible for the consequences of our obedience, not us. And I began walking in that forgiveness. And I will tell you, forgiveness is the door to freedom in Christ. Amen. That is the beginning of, of the walking in freedom. And then I would say over those next, you know, and even to this day, I mean, there's things, you know, where God will just remind me, you know, that's your feelings of abandonment. You need to go back and clean that ground back because I've already paid for that. And, you know, going back over as things happened in my life, you know, Patty would come alongside of me and say, you know, that's where you need to go back and forgive your mom for, and your dad for the abandonment that you felt by them. And, you know, and that's how God began healing me of those things. It was as I walked with him, it was not all at once. It was as I walked and things in my life would trigger those things and God would set me free. It's been a really, the redemption in this has been unbelievable. I, you know, kept walking and chose to forgive, um, you know, and here's the thing I tell people with the, in divorce, especially if you have children, it's never over. You still have to learn to co-parent with this person. This Correct. person's always, this person's always going to be a part of your life. I'm, I'm like 30 years down the road and guess what? We have grandchildren together now. So, right. you know, we're still showing up at parties together and you've got to get along. There's, there's places here in divorce where you're going to have to die yourself so your children can live because they're the ones that are the victims in this. So it is an exercise of so much death to self so that your kids can get through this (laughs) because it's going to be hard. You know, my oldest is 31 now and the one, you know, my second is 29 and they will tell you still hard at sometimes. Right. And they have married and moved on and have their own lives now, right. but it still has an effect on them. Right. So I always tell people, listen, if you can work it out, that's the best absolute solution to all of that. But it does take two people. Right. So, you know, God was faithful and I was working as an Awana leader. I was a little cubby leader and um, God brought my second husband into my life through that. And um, we ended up getting married. He, and this was a story because I remember when we started dating and I, I knew it was getting serious and I'm like, listen, buddy, you need to back up because this right here is a big package deal. I mean, there's two kids, <laughs> right, you know, right. there's an ex-husband, there's, you know, ex-in-laws, there's this whole big package that comes with this. And, and he said to me, you know, what? I'm going to, I need some time to pray about this. I really want to see God in this. And I didn't hear from him for probably three days. And I was like, yeah, he's gone. That's done. And uh, he came back to me and he said, you know what? I prayed about this and I really feel like this is where God is leading me. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I will tell you from that moment on, he never looked back. He has come alongside of me and walked through all this. And second marriages are not like first marriages at all. And the odds of a second marriage making it are high are not making it are higher, higher. than a first marriage. Right. A lot of people yeah. don't know it's that. It higher. Is, it is higher. No. I think I want to say like a first marriage is like 50 something percent. Um, and I think a second marriage is more like 64 to 68 percent failure rate. A failure rate. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. I, you know, second marriages are, are not easy. And especially when you're bringing kids. Now, he had never been married and never had children. So he married me. We had I think the kids were seven and six and seven or something like that when we got married. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he mm-hmm. dove in head first. He had no clue. You know, but he never looked back. And I will tell you, because of him, the trajectory of those two kids' lives was changed forever. Wow. And because he came in and took his role seriously and spiritually, um, it changed it changed their lives. And we ended up having two kids together. Um, but what I, here's what I want to go back to that abortion thing. So this has been swept under the carpet for 15 right. years. And I remember before my husband and I, my husband now and I got married, I remember saying to him, there's something I need to tell you. And 
I, we got together and, and I just started bawling. Scared to death that this is going to be another rejection because of the right. choice I made. And I remember looking at him and he's like, what in the world is going on? He's scared to death. And I said, I said, I want, I want you to know that I had an abortion. And he looked at me and he said, that's it. And I looked at him with a really fine, like, and, and he, I said, yeah. And he goes, well, that's forgiven. Hmm. That was, that was one of the catalysts that started healing of abortion in my life. Hmm. And I remember when I got pregnant for my third, his first, mm -hmm. and that is when God began really healing me from that abortion, which made it so poignant because I was pregnant. So I'm, I went to our crisis pregnancy center and I am going through the whole, you know, um, the workbook that they have. And right. there, it was a, it was like a small group study and I'm, I've got ultrasound pictures of this child and it was, it was hard. Mm. It was, it made the reality of what I did so real, if that makes any sense. Yes. It, <clears throat> you know, here I am pregnant and I'm dealing with the fact that I chose to kill right. my, my child. And I'm, you know, it, of the four that I had, I had the most ultrasounds with him, which I found very interesting. Wow. And number um, three, number three, and number three. Right. Yes. And it was just, you know, the, those, the first mother's day after really coming to the realization of what I did. I remember I was in, um, a Bible study at my church and the crisis pregnancy center came and they showed a video of what it was like to have an abortion. And it followed a woman into the abortion clinic. It followed her down the corridor, it followed her into, and it mimicked. I, I was sitting there watching myself and it was at those points and those, you know, that I could no longer shove it under the carpet. This is the reality of what I did, but there is redemption. I would say the hardest part of all of that healing was choosing to forgive myself for the mm -hmm. choice I made and yes. letting myself off the hook, you know, it, and not demanding more from myself than what Jesus already paid for. Right. That was hard. It was and hard. You, and you know what's so amazing about God when you just shared all of that? He is so faithful. He is so mm -hmm. good because he never gives us more than we can handle in that time. And it's just like that um, statement that you made that he put on your plate what you knew that you could handle in the moment. And although right. you already had baby number one, baby number two, you're in your, mm -hmm. your, you're in your new marriage, and this is the first mm -hmm. pregnancy that you had with him, but that but you had the conversation with him first. Like you, you told him about right. it. Right. He said, Oh, okay. It's forgiven. It's all good. And mm -hmm. now God mm -hmm. is like, okay, now we have to deal with this now. Right. So, and I didn't have to walk through it by myself. And you didn't have to walk through it by yourself. God mm -hmm. is so amazing. How he's he, so amazing. The process mm -hmm. of healing is he reveals it in the time that he knows we can handle it. That's right. He loves us so oh, much. God, he loves and us we so much. Don't, you know, and even in the poor choices yes. and the horrible situations, he's so gentle with us and so loving and so kind. And the enemy is so rough. Right. And he's condemning and he's harsh. And if we can just understand, and if the women that are listening to this can understand, it doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from that love that he has Amen. for you. Is it going to be painful to go back yes. and walk through the healing process? Yeah, it is. Yes, it, it is. is. Mm -hmm. it, but on the other side, if I can just say anything about that, on the other side of this is so much freedom oh, God, and yes. so much grace and so much love and you just have to you just have to go through it. It's like giving birth to a baby. I cannot tell you what it feels like, but once you walk through it, you're going to understand that. And not only that, you're going to be able to reach back and you're going to, there's going to be somebody in your life that you're going to be able to minister to 
because God promises that we will comfort others with the same comfort that he's given to us. And that's, that's our story. That's We're able to reach back and sit here and say, listen, yeah, abortion, divorce, remarriage are hard things. But when Jesus is in the center of it, it works. It works. It works. You know, and so I'm sitting here many years down the road from all of this, and I have watched God redeem every single ounce. That third baby that I had, Mm -hmm. when he was in college, he he wrote, he read the article that I wrote about the school abortion issue that, that turned into the book, and he was the baby I was pregnant for when this happened. And that story was the catalyst that got him going back to church in his life with Jesus Christ, where it needs to be. So not only the, I mean, the depth of what God did there was the baby, his sibling, by the way, that I aborted is the very one that turned his life around. Life around. And I said to him, you have a unique connection with that child, with that sibling that was yours. But, you know, we don't think about an abortion. I mean, you know, my kids, my youngest one, when she was in school, they were talking about abortion in school. And she said, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. Like that was one of my brothers or sisters that I will never meet until I get to heaven. And Mm. those are the things that we don't think about and how that's going to affect or, you know, you can keep it swept under the carpet and not tell your kids or whatever, but you know, those are the things that the consequences we don't think about and then with the yeah with divorce we you know I had two kids from a previous marriage and two kids with the marriage I was in right then and they have two siblings that leave and come and go you know that have a whole nother family that they're not a part of you know right there's so many consequences that you just don't think about in that moment but when you choose to let Jesus lead and you choose to allow him to be the Lord of your life and you're following him, it makes all the difference in the world. It might be messy, but there's peace and joy and redemption that you won't experience unless you do that. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Tina, because I do believe that sometimes we get so ashamed of our story Mm-hmm. Um, and the enemy does that, right? He makes us ashamed oh, yeah. of our story yeah. so that we don't speak up because he knows that there's power in our testimony. Um, that revealing the truth of what God has done for us mm-hmm. allows someone else the opportunity to know I'm not alone. There's someone mm-hmm. else that's been through this. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it because yeah. I can see that the hand of God on that person's life and what they were able to overcome so that I know I can overcome too. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you so much for listening to the voice of God, being obedient, being courageous enough to stand for truth and allowing others to hear your story, which leads me to raising kids on your knees. (laughs) What created that platform? Share with the ladies, what created that platform? You know, I, it was, it was probably 15, 16 years ago. Here I, I have four kids now and a second marriage. And I had read a book that had really encouraged me to start journaling. And mm-hmm. I, I grabbed, you know, so I started journaling and it really, for me, was a prayer journal. And what that looked like was Dear Heavenly Father. You know, and like I wrote these prayer letters to Jesus and I began right. doing it on a consistent basis. And we had moved from upstate New York to North Carolina about eight years ago. And Mm -hmm. I was sitting at my dining room table and I'm like writing out these, you know, and I had had a a blog and I'm, you know, that was back when they were kind of just getting some ground and you know what, I'm just going to put this out on my blog. And I started like doing these little devotional things and prayers for your kids. And I remember talking to my husband, I'm like, you know, I could do this on the blog and I could just put these out here. And I started doing that. And I said, but you know, I really need a name for that. And Holy Spirit literally laid it on my heart, raising kids on your knees. And wow. as I had been praying in my journals, I, I began to see God answer those prayers for my kids in profound ways. Like I, I saw the power of prayer in, in my kids. And mm. I thought, you know, there's something to this. So I just began, you know, blogging those prayers. And then 
probably four years or so ago, I was in this writing class and this woman that was in there was what she, she was what she called a publishing coordinator. And she's like, you know, it would be really cool for you to, you know, I, I talked about doing this as a devotional, which by the way, has not gotten written because other things have in the meantime, but you know, she has talked right. about doing that and, and God has just grown it over the years, you know, where it was a blog, then it became a website and then it became prayer sheets. Like, I think I'm in my fourth year of prayer sheets that go out once a week and they're Monday through Friday. And you can, you know, it's scripture and we're praying scripture over our children and it's become a global thing where people around the world, we're all praying in one accord for the next generations. Wow. And then last year I began writing a devotion, a short, you know, to the point devotion that goes right along with the prayer sheet to help parents step up their spiritual parenting, because the word says that it's the prayers of a righteous person that are powerful yes. and effective. And just coming along and I'm really, you know, because of my story, I am so um, about discipleship and who are Amen. you, who are you in Christ? You know, what's your identity, but then teaching people how to pray and then, you know, giving them the tools to do that and then teaching them how to fight for their families in the spiritual realm and doing spiritual warfare and just really, so I guess that's, that's the platform of raising kids. And the big thing is prayer for your kids and those prayer mm -hmm. sheets, you know, having them as a prompt throughout the week of praying scripture, you know, it's great to pray. I hope my, you know, I pray that my kid gets on this team or I pray this, you know, the things that are going to be of worth and value are the truths that you pray into your kids' lives because, those are what is going to make a difference. It doesn't really matter whether they make the team or whether they're top of their class or whatever. What makes a difference is who they are in Christ. So that's where Amen. raising kids on your knees kind of got its start. Wow. Here we Amazing. are today. Yeah. Here we God's are been today. good. Yeah. God's been good. And, God I, has and been I do good. my own podcast. We have a raising kids on your knees podcast where I, pod, I, I podcast the weekly era on what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know, throughout mm -hmm. the week and stuff like that. And um, it's just been, it's been a fun journey with God. Um, how he's, wow, he's I done love it. that. Yeah. I love it all because you know what? It, it's just a awesome testimony about what God can do in our lives. Right. And yes. the fact that also as women, we tend to put ourselves in the back burner. We tend to put our children and our spouses ahead of everything as if we don't have a calling and a purpose to do greater things, right? Right, as right. Yeah. It's only family, and it's not the case. God has a calling and a purpose in your life as well, something that he wants you to do mm -hmm. um, for his kingdom and for his glory. And so, Tina, I love that you share that out of what you've came out of, out of your mothering, out of your uh, being a wife, out of the divorce, out of the abortion, God gave you this purpose and this calling. He put raising kids on your knees in your heart. Mm -hmm. And today it is global. Yep. That is amazing. It is. It's amazing, amazing to me to sit here and just watch it happen. And he's been so gentle about it. And I think that's what's so cool about God because until mm. like, you know, my youngest is now in college. So we're, I call it seasonal empty nesters because she still comes home. Um, but it wasn't until really, you know, that she was out of our home and, and in college that God really expanded this. I was doing it when they were home, but on a very limited basis, but now, right. you know, and now I've had the opportunity to do this in real life with our moms connect group here in our church. And what I do with raising kids on your knees, I'm coming alongside these moms of all ages and um, teaching them the very same things that I teach, you know, on the website. Titus too. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I love yeah. it. Well, Tina, we are at the final question of the podcast. And okay. this is a question that I ask all of my interviewees who come on the podcast entitled Being Eve. What is one thing you can find in common with Eve's story within your own story? You know, it's so funny that you would say that because God just showed me this this year. And that was as I was reading through the creation story again, you know, I... Eve is the crown jewel of creation, you know, women mm. and God brought us to men to come alongside of them and to, 
you know, be a partner with them. But one of the things that God showed me this year that was poignant to me was he created everything from the dust, including Adam. But Mm -hmm. Eve, he created out of flesh, the flesh of Adam. Mm -hmm. We are the only thing, we are the only created being that was created out of the flesh of man. And as I pondered that, I went, no wonder I wrestle with my flesh so much. I was created from flesh. And I thought, you know, as a Mm. woman, as a woman, we wrestle so hard with our flesh. And as I've looked back over my story, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I look back over my story and I thought, you know, I wrestled so hard with my flesh and I still do as a woman, we are always going to wrestle with our flesh. But I think once we, when we submit our flesh and our whole being to the authority of Jesus Christ on a daily basis it makes it a little bit easier. So that would be my, my, my thing with Eve is how I relate to her is that we, we are flesh and we were created out of flesh and we wrestle. Wow. That's an amazing revelation. I love that. Thank you. I'm going to dive in that a little bit more (laughs) for myself because there's so much truth to that. So let the ladies know where they can find you. I'm also going to include the links in the show notes, ladies, but let them know, Tina, where they can find you and keep in contact with you. First and foremost, you can stay in touch with me through raisingkidsonyourknees.org. That's my website. Um, You can listen to my podcast on the website. You can download your free. It's all free. You can download a free prayer sheet. You can subscribe to the prayer tribe and receive all of that in your email on a daily basis, Um, the devotions as well as the prayer sheet. Um, You can connect with me on Instagram at Raising Kids on Your Knees. You can connect with me on Facebook at Raising Kids on Your Knees. And I'm on Twitter as well at Praying for Kids. So there's many ways where you can connect with me. The main way is through the website and um, all of the information is right there. Tina, thank you so much for coming on Being Eve and sharing your amazing story. I appreciate you and I appreciate the time you spent with us today. It has been my pleasure. Well, ladies, thank you for tuning in. I hope this episode blessed you as much as it did me. Before we depart, a quick reminder to head on over to the show notes where you will find all the info to keep in contact with Being Eve and to learn more about our guests. Make sure to let them know Being Eve sent you. Last but certainly not least, ladies, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe. This is your opportunity to let the whole world know where we gather for absolutely free. As always, ladies, please continue to love, live, and thrive without losing the authentic you.